Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. This is Charlotte Talks. I'm Mike Collins. Today, a Valentine from Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyle. She's with us for the first time in 2024, for the 50th time since we began this series of conversations. And we have a lot to explore, including new concerns over the UDO, the Unified Development Ordinances, moves taken by council this week to recriminalize certain quality of life ordinance infractions, the budget, transit, and more. Hope we can get to it all, so let's get to it right now. Welcome back to the program, Mayor. Welcome. Thank you very much, Mike, and um, happy Valentine's Day to all of our Charlotte residents. And for those who um, celebrate Ash Wednesday, happy Ash Wednesday to you all. I should point out for those of you not watching on Facebook Live that the mayor is decked out in Valentine (laughs) colors. You look like a Whitman sampler. Uh, Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start with the council's 7-3 to vote to recriminalize several quality of life infractions, such as public urination and defecation, among other things. There were several hours of debate. More than 30 people spoke for and against the change. As background, the state removed criminal penalties for these things several years ago, but made allowances for municipalities to reinstate them as they saw fit. Chris Connolly, a fourth ward resident, was one of those who spoke in favor of recriminalization, and he held up a picture of what he said was human waste next to a little free library in the park. No child should have to be exposed to that when they are just trying to read a book in a park. No parent should have to make a a choice of whether to read with their children or to avoid raw human waste. But another Charlottean, Rodney Sadler, spoke against the move, saying it would be, in effect, criminalizing homelessness. I wholly understand why we don't want people to urinate and defecate in public spaces, but the way to achieve this is not by criminalizing the act, but by providing alternatives. And so this I've, is our moral responsibility to provide these alternatives. So I uh, played those as a way of giving you a sense, our listeners, a sense of the back and forth that the, and, the, and the issues that council had to weigh. Should we be surprised then, Mayor, that the vote was 7-3 and that uh, either that it was not close or not unanimous? I'm sorry, Mike. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge the um, incredible um, work that we have with our partners. I think that, you know, when you think about this, it was a really difficult thing for me to sit and listen to all of this because I'm the mayor that said, let's move from $25 million to $50 million for affordable housing in my first term. And now we're trying to determine how do we do something. So this became an either or, which was like, how do you keep people um, feeling comfortable and safe? And how do you actually house the homeless? And I think that that's not a a thing that you have to make a choice between. And the council has worked really hard to determine how these things can make our neighborhoods safe. It's our streets safe when we talk about people panhandling and and, and being in the middle of the street. So we've put a lot of energy into this with the idea that we can do both of these things. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to learn more about what people other cities are doing around housing people. And sheltering is something that we've got so many partners working with us. But at the same time, 
we are going to have to determine a way to house people. Um, in Los Angeles, they're doing both trailers, container cargo um, housing, as well as tents. And, you know, all of these people that we're talking about that are just not having a place to stay at night after they go into the you know, usually the roof above program where they get opportunities for all of the things that we need for daytime needs. But what do we do in the evening and often how it spills over into our center city during the day? So I really want to say thank you to all of those people that came down and spoke to us because what they said resonated. But I think that what they were really saying to us, we've got to do better. Well, I, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Did did it really resonate? Because the vote was seven three to recriminalize certain of these acts, and yet I'm told, at least, that the majority of the people who spoke, many of whom were uh, uh, clergy, uh, said you shouldn't go in that direction, and yet the council did. So, did it resonate? It it did resonate. I know that it sometimes is a little bit more complex than what you see. Many of those people that we had that came down to speak to us. Um, they were really correct in terms of what they did. But you also have to pay attention to those who are impacted by some of the things that we're doing. And that's why I said, we got to move forward on this. There was one, no, was one person that was saying it's not necessary, and then another person would come in and say it is necessary. And you watch, if you've watched it, all you can say is that people feel passionately about this issue for housing. And we have to think about behaviors. That's one of the things that someone well, said. You're and you're connecting it to housing, and probably rightfully so, but do you think that the people who are complaining about having to sidestep human waste on the street or, or watch uh, acts that are not certainly acts that you would perform in public, we don't have to be terribly graphic about it, do you think that they connect that with the need for affordable housing? Well, this is what I would say. There are some people that connect it with the idea of just people um, – that come into the city and they're, they have no real place to go. And so that was one person's perspective. But what I connect is what the, everyone was saying gives us the opportunity to think about what do we do and how do we do more for unhoused residents in our community? Um, how do we create more opportunities to um, give people the opportunity to have a place and a quality of life that's greater than you know, sitting in a park all day and, and not having a place that they can call home. So I think that it's not necessarily where the audience, the audience had a lot of the advocates there, a lot of them that we have to have because they support our efforts now. What I think her, I heard was double down on what we are doing for the unhoused. So the ACLU, along with the people who spoke for and against the recriminalization of uh, certain behaviors, uh, the ACLU sent a statement opposing the move and urging counsel to, quote, see this proposal for what it is, an attempt to further the legal war against unhoused people. You would say that that statement is inaccurate. Well, I would say that um, we have one of the best police departments in the country. And if you think about what Chief Jennings said, that he said he supports it, but mm -hmm. it gives them the opportunity the, to have a tool to enforce some of these ordinances. But we will begin to assess and track what we're doing. And you, it, it's kind of one of those things that police um, 
folks that are in these center city, particularly or out in a lot of our corridors where people are panhandling, they need the ability to have them say, can you do something different? I think our police officers often are supporting these folks and giving them opportunities. And then the question is, how do we go if it doesn't happen? And it's very difficult. I understand this. I understand how difficult this is. But I think that they will always seek voluntary cooperation and they will seek the opportunities to connect them with the services. Remember, we are talking about creating care, more care teams. We're talking about, and that was a little bit of the debate between the council. It wasn't, let's not do these things. It was like, how, what is the methodology for doing it? And I think that Ms. Um, Johnson did a great job talking about, well, how do we get things, more things done and when do we get them done? But in this case, you also have to weigh every resident of our community feeling safe. And if people don't feel safe, then we have to figure out and have, react to that. And then we also have to act humanely to those that are less than. Uh, when, when the state removed the criminal penalties for these actions in 2021 and left it up to the cities to put them back in place if they wanted to, it, it left the police with only the ability to issue a citation for somebody they caught engaging in these activities. And as you mentioned, uh, Chief Johnny Jennings from CMPD is in favor of the recriminalization. They also tweeted out uh, a statement uh, supporting city council's vote to recriminalize these six specific ordinances, saying that it will assist CMPD's ability to maintain public safety. Uh, the approval, he says, equips our officers with an additional tool to enforce these ordinances effectively. We are aware that we cannot arrest our way out of quality of life issues that have plagued the community. We will continue first to seek voluntary cooperation through verbal warnings and issuing written citations. Arrests will be considered a last resort. Now, we're talking about public urination and defecation and other assorted situations. Right. And, and one of the right. problems here, it seems to me, is the lack of facilities that these people have at their disposal, which I do want to talk about. But the three council members who voted no were Renee Johnson, Tywana Brown, and Luana Mayfield. And Renee Johnson asked folks in the council chamber how many times they had to use the bathroom in a day, and then asked what they would do if they were homeless. Now, with the threat of an arrest, have diminished the urgency of that? No, did it right then and there. So that points to the problem, the lack of public facilities uptown and around town, not just for the homeless, but for anybody, anybody not going into a restaurant or a, a place. Uh, and council member Marjorie Molina, who voted in favor of recriminalization, said the city is expanding outreach services, which will bring portable restrooms uptown. I don't think this is one of those things where someone says they want to um, criminalize what would be unhoused, you know. Um, I think it's just enforcing um, some some behaviors. So when will these portable restrooms be installed uptown? Where? How many? Etc. Well, Mike, I want to say that we already had on Monday night a, a record where we would have two of the portable um, toilets that will be placed on county property in the center city that are on the way. And so we have until March 1st to enact these things. And believe me, we are working very hard to do that so that everything about this ordinance is going to be March the 1st. And we are already looking and 
talking about where to place these um, facilities around our city, not just in the center city, but the center city will be the immediate focus for it. And it's we have two, two that will be coming up um, by the time of the implementation of the ordinance. Is two enough or is that just the start? No, it's certainly not enough, but these things take time and we're going to get more and we're going to work with the county. This is the other thing that we're really going to work to towards our social services side versus our um, criminal side. So we're going to have more care teams. We're going to have recommendations from them. People that are working, that have actually worked in the community, we're going to ask for their input, where, what, how. And we are going to continue to report and assess what's going on. This is something that we, as a community, we have to measure and take metrics around how we're going to do it. But we have to do it in collaboration with both the people that understand our unhoused population, as well as the county having the support systems for um, providing um, social services to this um, population. Are these port johns or are they going to be something more upscale than that? They're more, they're a little bit more than just the Porta okay. John. It, it's not going to be like the festival house um, bathrooms that we have in the center city. They are designed specifically for this need. Okay. And, and you said that the, this, these will, at least the first two will go in, it will be put in place in March, which is when these ordinances kick in. So in the meantime, uh, if somebody is observed in one of these activities, They'll just be issued a citation. They will not be arrested. Is that correct? Well, one, it doesn't go into effect until March the 1st. And right. two, the chief has said that he's going to use this as a tool, not a hammer, but a tool for helping people um, get through this. So I, I would think that we're going to continue to ask the chief for how often he does this, what the officers do. We're going to have real life examples and we're going to depend on organizations like A Roof Above and those that work with us on the care teams. But we have done a number of things already. You know, an example... And let me stop that, you there. Let me stop you there. I, I, we have to take a break. We'll come back. I'll let you do your examples, and we'll talk a little bit more about what other aspects of this ordinance go into place in March. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, incorporating Mazda's customer-centric vehicle design by making the customer the center of business to create a better car buying experience. More at MazdaOfSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on Listener Funded 90.7 WFAE and WFAE.org. I'm Mike Collins. Our, our monthly visit with the Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles underway here, and we're talking about the rediscussion of uh, the recriminalization, rather, of uh, the ordinances that prevent certain public behaviors. Uh, vote by 7-3 on the council this week to do that beginning in March. And you were talking about some of the other actions the city was going to take in, rela in relation to this. Mayor, go ahead. So I, I, what I wanted to point out is that we, like many cities across this country today, and by no means are we alone in this effort. So the things that we have done in terms of contracting with people that can help us address the population that know, you know, when, when people understand 
um, the issues and they are participating and we can put them out there to talk about what we're trying to do. But there are some specific examples of what we're trying to accomplish. So think about we have the Hope Bus, Hope Vibes Bus, where we have bathrooms and showers and places for people to go. We have Roof Above, which has been our partner in this for so very long and has done such a great job expanding their services where you can actually have a phone, you can have a job interview, you can um, have a locker, all of these things that are services that, be, that are being done across the country, but no one has found that magic um, path to complete success. I, and Los Angeles mayor there has um, taken 30 encampments. But she had, at that time, the ability to house those folks. And I think that this idea of having you shelter every day is more, even more difficult if you don't have the housing that will back up that shelter system. And I think that with the, everyone in that room would agree that people that are unhoused need a place to stay and how do we do that? And I think a lot of that will come out of the city's budget and a housing committee. Um, I had to say, um, council member Lawana Mayfield is having a meeting with our clergy folks to talk about, well, how, do you, how could you help us in this effort? And that was modeled on a program in Atlanta where church membership had changed in some of the regards that the, this, this faith-based organization was going to do, and they changed it to apartments for unhoused people. I think that we're going to ask everyone in our city to figure out how we address unhoused people. But I'm going to add this caveat to it. We also know that we have issues with um, a lot of folks that are perhaps not employed, they may have a place to go. And this isn't just about the people that are unhoused. This is about maintaining a culture of safety in our various neighborhoods, on our streets. The last thing that we want is to see things that we can solve a problem and not address it. And I think that that's what we are trying to do. We may not get it right every time, but we're going to always try something, we're going to try to innovate, we're going to try to measure and make it possible. I believe that we still have a collaboration between our police chief, our city council, and our county commission. These are the things that will make it work. And these are the things that will give us the opportunity to retool, reassess, and make it better for everyone in our community. Uh, uh, the recriminalization ordinances extend to beer and wine consumption, possession of open containers, disposal of containers, soliciting from the street or median strips along roadways, which could include panhandling and more. Um, let's break those down. Uh, even as the city is opening social districts, which will allow for people to carry open containers of alcohol and, and other beverages uh, down streets, etc., we're cracking down on that elsewhere. Is there some something fundamentally different about what goes on among the homeless population carrying open containers and what happens in the social districts? Well, first, Mike, it is not just the homeless folks. There are people that um, are in our center city. We can't always say this is about homelessness. Sometimes it's about the quality of life. Do we have enough jobs? Do people want to work? Are they abandoned? Do they, are there mental, more mental health issues than we can actually accommodate in our services now? There's a, it's, I don't want this to be homeless people is what we're doing. We are not doing this around just the homeless population or the unhoused population. There's a lot more complexity to this issue. Um, I'm 
the age that I remember when we closed a lot of our mental health hospitals and we said, oh, we're going to build community hospitals. And I said this at the time when we had this, the library became our place for people to go. They weren't acting out or doing anything, but they were had, had to have a place to sit. And now we don't have that. So there's a, there is some connection to how we're growing and what we have to change and do. So this is why some of the things like how do you provide bathrooms? How do you provide shower sessions? How do you make sure that our sheltering organizations are funded sufficiently to address these issues? And that's what we've got to start thinking through. It is not just the unhoused. So what I, I, I don't think that on. I don't think that answered my question, but we'll move on to a different okay. question. You're Sorry. also you're also criminalizing uh, uh, soliciting from the street or median strips. This happens now in Charlotte at almost every major intersection, particularly in South, along the South Boulevard, Woodlawn Road, Tybola Road uh, corridor. This, as I understand it, will now be criminalized. It will be prohibited. Is that correct? I think that the way that the ordinance reads, there's um, a lot of things around this that I'm no lawyer and I pr will not pretend to play one, um, but there are issues that constitutional issues and rights that people have. But I think that the way that we had to reframe this was not that we were going to do soliciting, but we are going to ask people to cross the street in a safe manner. Um, you, If you look at some of the things that we are trying to do with our safety and issues around traffic, these are the things that kind of we are combining these to make it work for everyone. And, and some on council were concern, concerned about the, the recriminalization of these things leading to more criminal records for people who are already in very difficult circumstances, including homelessness. Not all are homeless, but some are. But won't this make it more difficult for people to get apartments, to get jobs, if you give them a criminal record? Well, remember what the chief statement said that you read. I think that the chief said that this is a tool in the toolbox and that he is going to look at this. We'll be getting reports from him on what they've done. And if it begins to sway away, we'll have to go back and do a check. And I think that we, we're going to try some things. We've got to try something different. We are, we're, we're just like any other community trying to figure this out. And we're going to try these things that people bring up as what ways to get do, things to change the impact. Do you understand or does anybody understand the root cause of all this? Because I grew up in an America where this was not the norm. You never saw this. Now you see it everywhere and every major city is grappling with this and everything that you are trying to do and everything that Los Angeles is trying to do, everything that San Francisco is trying to do, it all seems like a Band-Aid on a oozing open wound for which we do not understand the root cause. Do you? Mike, I'm not a social scientist, and um, I can't say the root cause. Um, I just see what happens on our streets. I see when people are concerned about their neighborhoods. I see when people come down and talk to us to, about the lack of upward mobility. These are things that are, these issues started way before I became mayor, but even more importantly, probably before I became an adult. The country is changing, and I understand that, but we're beginning to identify those inequalities, and that's why the city of Charlotte— Well, that's, that's what I'm trying to get to, Mayor, uh, uh -huh. because, the, because the taxpayers are paying for all of this. 
the te- and if the root cause is that corporations aren't paying fair wages so that people can afford to live and eat and house themselves, this is corporate welfare. Is that what it is in your mind, or is it something else? I, I don't think that we, I can define this as anything more than we need to give people the opportunity to get to work. And we need to do job training and development. And if you look at what the city council has said, top priorities, looking at these top priorities, it is workforce development. So people have the opportunity not to fall in these circumstances. I can't speak for the business community, but I know in Charlotte's business community, if you look at what we pay as a governmental agency, what the county is paying, everybody's looking for talent. If we don't work on the idea of how do we get people in these positions where they're trained and have the ability to get a job, that they can afford to pay their rents. And and we it's it's a little bit of those of us that have have got to pay attention to those that do not. And that's what I believe the a focus that the council has on making sure that we have workforce development, that everybody gets to participate in the economy, that we provide the services that work for a quality of life that everybody should be comfortable having. But aren't we doing that? Everything you we just said, doing, aren't we, we doing are all of trying, that? But there are many things that are just take. These are these are decade long issues. Yes. Um, I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, and I have seen what poverty is. I grew up when schools were segregated, and I know what it means to not have the opportunity to get an education. So what we have to do is look at what are those elements of of life that we can provide. And to me, that's being the ability to have the education that allows you to work in this economy, that it, we provide things like the ability to have a house, which really goes to our UDO. That is an equity document in some respects around trying to keep people housed. That's where and so I, we have lots of these things that we're doing. That's where I want to go Most of them I, are new new to this this generation. Okay, that's where I want to go next, to the UDO. But before we depart from this, just a, a, a brief moment. Uh, you mentioned that we need to train, give people job training. We need to edu- give them an education. Well, we provide a 12, a grade through, 1 through 12 education at no cost. We've been doing it for, for all of the 20th century. Uh, if you don't avail yourself of that opportunity, whose fault is that? Are you saying that the schools are failing these people because many many of them graduate and don't have reading and writing skills. Well, I don't know the numbers about that, but I know that Crystal Hill is doing a heck of a job over at the CMS system, and I am going to support her and her efforts more than anything But that else. doesn't answer the question. If people I know. Are, I can't people, answer your question, Mike. I don't but, know the answer to that. Okay. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> That's what I, I want to hear. Do you, I don't do you know have a good, good answer. answer for me? No, but I don't know is a good answer. But let me, I, let me just say this. I, I think that this, our community, if you look at it, you know that we did redlining. You know that we did urban renewal. You know that we had segregated schools where the schools were not equal. And now we're trying to right some of this ship in our community. And it takes time. It didn't happen in a day, and it's not going to be done in a year. 
Okay. So after months of heated debate on uh, previous councils, uh, those bodies passed the uh, Charlotte 2040 plan several years ago and the Unified Development Ordinance, which codifies that plan. Both of those votes were very close, and the UDO only went into effect last summer. But now, what was once apparently settled seems less so because area residents are realizing what certain of these zoning changes will mean to their neighborhoods. Residents at the, in the Barkley Downs area near South Park are alarmed by a triplex that is being constructed in a 1960s-era neighborhood of single-family homes. So Allison Craig, the city's planning director, told council last week that she thinks Charlotte has been underbuilding this type of housing, that there are a lot of apartment complexes and a lot of single-family homes available, but duplexes and triplexes, so-called middle housing, is in short supply and something that needs to be addressed. A, do you agree? And B, does building these triplexes in these neighborhoods address any of the housing problems that you just referred to? So let's just take this. Um, oftentimes I drive down Providence Road and the Barkley Downs area kind of is off of Providence Road. And well, we all know that. And when you drive down Providence Road, there are a number of triplexes and quadruplexes that people have ownership in, and they have operated beautifully across this footprint. I think it's one of the solutions that is available to us, and we need this mix of options. We cannot have um, the idea that everybody can have a place to live unless we build some of those places. And we're talking about from market rate down to the unhoused. And we're, I think that what Allison Craig is doing is working with this council and the UDO advisory committee that is made up of people around development and opportunities for us. So I believe that duplexes and triplexes and accessory dwelling units are important to the process and important to the volume that we need for the density to have people housed. So Otherwise, you know, they go out of our out of our city limit. Then they have to have cars to drive in for work. And, you know, we're trying to do a lot of things, initiatives on clean air, clean water. We have to think about this. It's not just, it's just a building. It is a way to make sure that our community grows in a way that's sustainable. So help me to understand this, because uh, this triplex in Barkley Downs is one of several projects that are going to be happening or are already happening. In some cases, there are several off Marsh Road in the Sedgefield neighborhood that are going up right now. Uh, there are projects uh, like that uh, planned for the Providence Road uh, area as well and probably elsewhere in town. The ones, the triplex going up, as I understand it, in Barkley Downs, it's going to be three housing units that will sell for at least a million dollars each. So that's not going to help anything with regard to affordable housing directly. But will there be some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but some, will it cause other houses who are not as new as these triplexes in the same area or elsewhere to then become affordable because they're not as luxurious or new as these triplexes are? So a couple of things that I would say about that. One, we, we are building for um, everyone. And developers that make these units possible have are investing they are, their money in these things. These are not things that the city subsidizes or contributes to. So there's obviously, if they're building it, they think there's a market. Not everyone that grew up 
in a house with 3,000 square feet, 4,000 square feet wants to live there anymore. The world of um, coming in and, and having a place that you can see as a, a condo or an apartment or a smaller place, that's what we have to work on, these options. But in, it's not an affordable development. It is a market rate development. And I haven't seen the building either, but I have seen how valued those buildings are in Dilworth as a historic area. I've, I've seen the value of it in Myers Park. These things are happening because people are making choices that are different than we had in the past. Do you anticipate more pushback on this as these uh, buildings start to go up in more areas of town? Or do you think that people have, uh, have settled into this as, as the reality and the need for densification has hit home to them? I have 30 seconds. Micah, you, you, you know what keeps me up at night now. Um, I think about this often. There are some opportunities that we should be taking more advantage of. So I've asked to sit down with the school, um, the seconds. head of the school districts, the superintendent, because teachers need housing too. And we have to stop. We, I'll, I'll let you finish the answer after the break. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte. Using Mazda's customer-centric approach to cars to create a car buying and servicing experience where the customer is the center of their business. More at MazdaOfSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on WFAE and WFHE. I'm Mike Collins. Charlotte Mayor Viola Lyles is with us. Uh, we've talked about many things so far this morning, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, what we were just discussing, and that is the UDO and any future push pushback that she anticipates from as, as, as these triplexes and duplexes uh, crop up in other areas of town, other than the ones that have raised red flags so far. So you were, you were in the middle of something, and I had to interrupt you. Go ahead. I was saying that um, when we talk about these triplexes and duplexes, I know that there's market rate on this and that there are lots of communities that have them existing now and will get more of them. What I am concerned about and what we really need to focus on are the people that have um, that work for CMS, the teachers, who don't have the ability to afford some of these places that you're talking about. So what I believe we're going to do is um, talk with the school system, with the county and the city. We have to be more collaborative in our work to address some of these major issues. And we're trying to address and right historic wrongs, but we're also trying to make it possible for those people that really are the foundation of our school system, our teachers, our librarians, that are the foundation for safety in our city, our police officers, our firefighters. And how do we take the properties um, that the city owns or does not utilize to um, the county owns that's not utilized, the school system, to make it possible for us to give people a shot at having a home and whether it's a quadruplex or triplex, I think most people just want to have decent, safe housing. And that's what we have to do. There's a lot of more discussion that will be held on this. The council had a retreat. It's one of our top priorities, along with safety. Housing is right up there and infrastructure. All of these things are on the list. So I hope all of our community will acknowledge that first we're doing we're doing the hard work of taking data and working together with people. I had a, a meeting with our a call with our housing director, Rebecca Hefner, 
um, yesterday, and it was about how do we maintain their a community of affordable housing that we have to help them stay in good shape so that we can continue the people that live there don't have to walk away and become unhoused. So we are, we're working on every part. If you're housed, we want you to stay in a house. If you are a person that supports our economy and makes our schools better, our city safer, we want you to be able to live in our city. And you're saying, so, so that people can be clear about this, because not everybody is aware of the UDO, that the UDO will help toward that end. I, the folks that, as you said, narrow voting, there's a sometimes a difference in what we think we and how we ought to do it. But I think everyone on the Charlotte City Council would say to you that, yes, we want the UDO to serve the residents in a way that we can have the density that's necessary for us to continue to be a growing city. And Charlotte City Council is also discussing budget priorities for the coming year. And Councilwoman Dimple Ajmira chairs the budget committee. She says that she believes the biggest priorities for citizens are what we have been talking about so far, affordable housing and public safety. Are you on board with that? Is that are those your top two priorities? Absolutely. Um, the city isn't going to waver from keeping our um, safety issues on on every agenda, practically. Um, Victoria Watlington, Malcolm Graham, Tart Bakari, all have ideas around how do we do this better. And they are working with um, the Safety and Housing Committee because housing and safety often are related. We've asked for our city attorney to start looking at nuisance abatement. All Any tool that someone has we're going to try to look at it and see if it fits our value system for our community, and we're going to continue to work on it. Uh, you're having listening sessions. There was one last night. I think they continue into March uh, for city council to talk about citizens' ideas of what the budget should look like. You can also go to charlottenc.abalancingact.com slash leadership challenge. That's a long one. Uh, to, to go through the budget yourself and balance it yourself. So uh, you can look that up. It'll pop up on Google for you. You and council members uh, went to Winston-Salem a couple of weeks ago for your annual retreat to discuss issues facing the city. And at that retreat, you apologized to the people on the budget committee because you said this year is going to be a little harder. Why? Well, one, um, all of us know that, well, no, not everyone knows. So this may be a little bit um, in the weeds, but the city has property taxes that are either paid by businesses or commercial development or by homeowners development. Um, right now, our tax rate is, we have not raised taxes in five years. Our tax rate, I think, believe is 24, 26% per 100 value. If we begin to shift these values from commercial onto more residential, that is going to be an issue for us. And I expect that Ms. Ajmira, along with her colleagues on that committee, will be talking about how do we make sure that we tax people for the things that they need and that we keep up with the things that we have to have to continue to be a city with good quality of life. So the infrastructure issue is going to be major. You know, where do we have sidewalks? Where do we have, you know, stormwater? These are things that 
make the city work. And I think that we have been in a place where we've been able to rely on growth and assessments, but perhaps that time is um, going to be a little bit longer before we have another revaluation. And as the valuation shifts around, how do we make it work for our, our all of our community? There, we, we had a discussion about this a couple of weeks ago when it was revealed that we have a, a tremendous amount of vacant office space uh, uptown and around town. And uh, as that remains vacant, the tax burden of that may have to shift shift from commercial to residential, as you just said. But also, we just went through a tax revaluation. And at the time, uh, City Manager Marcus Jones warned council that sticking to a revenue-neutral budget, which we did, after that revaluation would make it difficult to maintain services. Um, does that mean a property tax is on the way? It means that there's going to be a discussion of it for sure. I think that we have had these difficult conversations about how do we spend this money, and we're actually in the first phase. We've had our first budget workshop. We just had our first listening workshop from the public, and people are going to ask us, can I have a sidewalk? People are going to ask us, can we keep um, working with housing, affordable housing? So as we go through this, um, we are going to have to address the issue of our 26, 26 cents property tax value mm -hmm. across every part of our community as we do it for both commercial, business, and our residents. And of course, people are paying property taxes not just to you, but also to, to Mecklenburg County. And last November, voters approved the largest bond issue in state history, $2.5 billion dollars for CMS and for the first time we were told that it will likely require uh, a property tax increase to support it. One of the things that has made Charlotte attractive nationally and that has led to its growth is its affordability. Are we putting that at risk? Is affordability is going to be at risk no matter where which direction we go um, because of our growth and what people are coming in and expectations that we have. But I think that we have to examine and review. The budget committee is going to work very hard at this, but I, I, I don't know the answer to this. It, it ultimately, the residents of this community will tell us what they want. And then we have to decide, do you do it immediately? Do you do it five years out? What are the implications for um, not doing something? Value added can so also be very helpful for us. We need to have more data around what adds value. And I think one of the points that I heard also say, if we have these programs that don't add value, what do we do about that? Yeah. So this proposition of metrics and data, that we have to um, address that. But, you know, we, we're coming out, we're still looking at COVID as an impact on our city. And now we didn't do anything. We didn't have taxes raised. We used a lot of the federal money that we were given to keep people afloat. So now what happens? What is that transition? How do we continue that transition in a um, way that people respect what we're trying to accomplish and want to fund the things that they are being taxed to um, do? Another issue that you discussed at the retreat was transit, and out of the blue, planners began referring to our transit plan as a roads-first plan. Is this in response to criticism of our plan by members of the legislature as being too focused on rail and bicycles and, and walking trails, or is this something else at work? I think there are two things at work here. 
um, at our retreat, we had three people from other communities that have done a lot of mobility work that they've been successful. It was Jacksonville, um, Denver, and um, Tampa, I believe. Or So what I believe that happened is that when we talked about what mobility would mean, it's a question that we have for, um, and we're being a lot of discussion around it. We just had a referral to a ad hoc committee, um, Mr. Driggs, Ms. Anderson, and Mr. Mitchell, to talk about how do we address mobility. So I can't remember, Mike, your question now. That's really, so tell me what was the question again? I'm sorry. There's so just, many things. So what just, was your question? Just that is this, uh, the, the, the sudden referral of the transplant, well, the reference to the transit plan as being a roads first plan. Is it a ah. response to the criticism that has been levied by legislative leaders? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Roads first can mean two things. So the first thing it could mean is how do we use autonomous cars? Jacksonville has is using autonomous cars like we would use the goal line. So when you talk about the goal line, how do you is it possible that autonomous cars can provide that same kind of effort without having rails? So that's one. Mr. Bakari will give you a treatise on that if you ask him about it. That the second part of it is that we do think that as we're going through our process, it's not a question of roads being first, as much as the question of what can we deliver to our community in mobility, very, very impact, to have a great impact. So, you know, rail things take a long time, but other things like we can do, what are the opportunities to make rail as well as autonomous cars? What are our options to impact people so that traffic can be better managed in our city? So that's you what we're doing. You mentioned that rail takes a long time, and clearly it does, because it recently came out that uh, virtually no conversations have been ongoing between you or council or the Metropolitan Transit Commission and the legislature, which will whose backing we need to help fund a portion of this transit plan. I guess my question is why? I mean, this plan, is, plan has been in place for years. We know that the legislature uh, needs to be convinced and be on board. We've heard the negative comments that legislative key leaders have said, we are on board with this. This is not a good plan. Why aren't conversations ongoing? Well, this is interesting that you say that the conversations are not ongoing because as um, I watched one of our local um, news shows on Sunday, um, I text Vicki Sawyer right away to say thank you for having such a clear and under clear and correct understanding of what Mecklenburg and Charlotte are trying to accomplish. And so there are conversations, perhaps those conversations um, really require the collaboration of our entire, it's not that simple, it, it needs to be everyone in Mecklenburg County that would have an impact. It needs to consider our airport. You know, how do we make sure that we continue to have one of the best airports in the country? It needs to be considered by Gaston County. This is a regional approach. And I, if but, it were but our easy... Converse, but are conversations ongoing between any, any of these uh, interested parties and in the legislature? Okay, so I just talked about the ad hoc committee of the council. Um, we've had conversations. And this is interesting because you say, well, you know, people are saying that they don't know anything. But if you remember, Speaker Moore at the time said, well, I don't like bicycle lanes. So everybody has something that they see that's of value. The question is, how do we get this in a cohesive, comprehensive way that people are willing to vote to make it happen? Remember, all of this is about developing something that the people of Mecklenburg County would have to vote to approve. 
One of the other things that council has been pondering is what to do about crime. And we have this uh, rising amount of youth violence, particularly gun violence. We had the shootings on New Year's Eve at Romare Bearden Park. Uh, and we have a lot of incidences now where repeat offenders are out on bail. They commit another crime. They go to the court. They get bailed. They are out again. They repeat another crime. They go to the court. They get out. What's the cause of that cycle? Well, that's, um, I'm going to try to simplify this as best I can, that there was a time um, that the legislature, as well as most communities across this country, at federal level, state level, our level, urban areas, that we said that we didn't want to um, have young people ruin their lives. And so that they were, we took the position that people 18 years old to 16 would have the ability to correct what they're doing. But what we found in our own city is that there, if you look at the metrics of it, that sometimes the 18-year-olds are more repeat repeat crimes and re, repeat areas that um, make it less safe for our neighborhoods and community. So the chief has recommended and is looking at this of raising the age so that someone that's between 16 and 18 would actually be treated as they would have to go to the magistrate, they'd have to go to court without being released to, um, with the idea that we can do this. But at the same time, an issue like this is so difficult for one department, one effort, one advocate to look at. So when the same that we started off with the unhoused issues, that's what this criminal um, behavior is. And I think that you're gonna hear a lot more from our public safety um, officers and our chief in leading this effort, as well as our safety committee that includes both housing and safety. Uh, is the problem that the court system can't handle the load? Is the problem that the legislature raised the age law that, that put into place uh, juvenile penalties, et cetera, not, not adult penalties for these crimes? Is it underfunded courts? Could the, could the city kick in more money to the court system? I literally have 15 seconds. Okay, because we already pay city, our residents pay city and county taxes. Right. So we are pitching in for the court system. Every resident that pays, they get county right. taxes as well. well. So the everybody county, gets The county it. pitched in $3.6 million. The city pitched in 313000 And I was wondering if the city could pitch in more, but we don't have time for that answer. I'm sorry. Mayor Viles, happy Valentine's Day. Thank you for being with us. Celebrating 25 years on the air, Charlotte Talks with Mike Collins is a production of 90.7 WFAE. Support for Charlotte Talks comes from Mazda of South Charlotte. Our executive producer is Wendy Herkey. The senior producers are Gabe Altieri and Sarah Delia. Our engineer is Joby Sprinkle. For more information about Charlotte Talks, to listen to past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, visit wfae.org slash charlotte talks. Additional support for WFAE programming comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com.